Hey, this is John Gunter. I'm the preaching minister at the Eagle Community Church of Christ in Mont Bellevue, Texas. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. We're excited that you'd be interested in hearing our teaching from our church. We want to invite you out. We have just moved from Baytown into Mont Bellevue. You can find us at our temporary location at 13631 FM 3360 there in Mont Bellevue. This week, we began part two of our series, A Stronger Summer. This week, we're talking about having a stronger faith. What is having a stronger faith? What does it look like to have a real faith? So we look at James chapter two this week. Uh, I felt like it was a challenge for me, and my prayer is for you that as you listen to these words, the words of God, you're challenged, that you allow God to do something special in your life, that as we go through this summer, like I've challenged my church, we will not stay where we are, but we will grow closer to Him. So may you be blessed. That's my prayer for you. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you soon. Come see us. Good morning again. Apparently last week there was some static or beard rubbing on this microphone. If that happens again, give me a signal. I did not hear it last week. And of of course my wife was so nice to tell me once I sat down. And uh, hi, honey. Um, She's watching from home right now, so I'm sure she's cringing a little bit. But if, if that happens again, I did not hear it. I was, I guess, in the zone. So uh, just just give me some kind of, you know, rub the person's face beside you or something, you know, make it make it awkward. Uh, I want to start out actually this morning as we begin. Uh, we, we started last week with a, a series and I'm calling our Stronger Summer. And the idea behind it is that throughout this summer, which is a huge summer in the life of this church, we are going to move both physically and spiritually. And so I want us to have a focus on what does God want to do in my life. And so last week we talked about holiness. Today we're going to talk about faith. Do we have that up there, guys? There you go. Thank you very much. I want to start off, actually, with a song. I'm not going to sing a solo. I felt like the air come out of the room. Oh, he's going to... He's going to do it. He's going to, yeah, thank you. Appreciate that. But uh, I felt like a, a collective inhale. Like, oh, man, this is not what I came here for today. All right. Uh, one of my favorite songs is I Will Call Upon the Lord. So we're going to sing that right now. Would you sing with me? Ooh, yes, sir. Praise God for that. You guys brought it. It might have been like the energy you got from thinking I was going to sing by myself, but you came with it. That is one of my favorite songs. One of my, uh, I love watching my kids grow up, but the last time we sang that in Mineral Springs, uh, I guess I guess we hadn't sat close enough to, to people when you clap at that, you know, I know the Lord, you know, and, and people are clapping and stuff. And, and Logan, my four-year-old, got wide-eyed when somebody clapped. And so when it came around the second time, he was like listening for it and, and he clapped like a second later. And then when you sing the last part, we slow it, you know, the, the very ending of the tag. Uh, and he was over there sitting there like this, like, are we going to go? We got this. 
And so it's so much fun to, uh, to watch them grow up. But one of the things I love about that song is it really is a declaration of faith. It is saying, I will call upon not myself, but the Lord. He is worthy to be prayed. Amen, church? Amen, Amen brother. And that's what I think about when I think of that song. Like, what, what is faith to me? To tell you a little bit about myself, I was born uh, to a lady at 20 years old, and I was her third child. I was um, the only one. I was a second child of my father. They had come together, well, that for that. But I was her third child, and, and she knew she could not raise me. And she knew he would try, but he couldn't. And so what she did was she told my father, my biological father, that I had died at birth and that they had so little money that the state took care of the funeral and all of those things. And so that's all he knew was that he had a son and he died. And so when I was about 26 or 27, I actually found my mother. I was put up for adoption because I had died, you know, the, the the proof of the, that would uh, uh, show that incorrect was, was gone. My mother put me up for adoption. She probably just went with the closest you know, adoption agency, but she went through uh, a Church of Christ adoption agency. And, and so they put me up, and I think I was two weeks old when my parents got me. And so because of that decision, because of that lie to my biological father, I actually benefited. I was placed in a fantastic home, one where my, my parents still live together, stable, going to church, as we, as we always say, every time the doors were open. And so I, I grew up, instead of, since I met my mother, instead of going through the things that my brothers and sisters went through, I had a life that was different, a life that was full of more possibilities. Uh, probably my most successful sibling was my older sister who lived with my mother, but I think she ran away uh, between 14 and 16 years old because there was drug use at the house. My mom worked at a bar, and, and you know the hours at a bar are weird, and so it was no, no real place for a kid. My dad, when I finally talked to him, he, uh, I, I got a hold of an aunt. And by the way, as you're trying to find family members, that is a, a weird experience. Anybody else in here adopted? Yeah, every time I've told this story, I've had people come up and say, hey, I'm adopted too. But my dad, I got, you call people with the right names, but often they are not the right people. And by the way, if you call someone and say, hey, I am looking for, you are liable to get someone who thinks you're a telemarketer. Or you are a bill collector. I got a lady, I don't know how old she was, but, but she sounded like she was 150. But I talked to her on the phone and she, she, we got like, I got like my, my spill and hey, I'm, I'm such and such, I'm looking for. And she, she said something, she hung up. Okay. 
So I called her right back and, and I went through it real quick. I said, listen, I, I'm not needing anything. Sure, you're not. <laughs> Let me tell my story. But anyway, months of that went by. I had a notebook, you know, filling all these things out. Finally found my dad and talked to him. And, and that's the words he said. He said, I had a son, but he died. And I got to say, well, I'm him. What an interesting conversation that was. I didn't talk to him for another couple of days. We had a good conversation. Another couple of days I talked to him and he said, well, she did the thing that she thought was right. Talking about my mom. And I thought, what a laid back guy that is. I don't know what, what your response to that would be, but uh, I've always been really laid back. I thought, well, that must be where I get it. Because, you know, had that happened to me, I would have flipped out, I think. But he was, he was that laid back that that's what he saw. But So I tell you all that just to tell you that when I was a teenager, knowing I was adopted, I never knew a time where, you know, my parents told me. Mom said they used to read books to me and about adoption and things like that. And so I always knew I was adopted. There was never a reveal or anything like that. But when I was a teenager, I remember sitting in my teenage class, much like you guys have, have been doing on Sunday morning. Mine was a Wednesday night Bible class, and I was sitting there listening to our preacher teach that class. And all of a sudden it hit me because we were talking about faith and what we believed. And um, growing up in my church, we're probably talking about somebody else that didn't believe like we did, you know. Uh, so, so we might have been dogging them a little bit. But I sit there thinking, what would I believe had I not been raised in this family? You ever challenge yourself like that? Would I believe if I was raised in another place, or maybe I wasn't raised with a religious family, would I come to faith in Jesus Christ? Could I sing the songs, I will call upon the Lord? And so that question has kind of driven me. The question of, do I really believe this because I have faith in it, or is it just a product of my circumstance? And so I have to come to that. Now, many of you, as you graduate, will come to that question as you go off to college. Because no longer will it be at mom and daddy getting you up, making sure you, you went to bed on time, all of these things. Now you have the decision to make. Is it my faith or is it the faith of my parents? How many of you guys went through that going into, high, or going into college? Like it was, that was the time, Right. And so when we think about something like faith, we have to make it our own. We have to believe it for ourselves and understand that it's not just a product of what mom and dad want us to know. What It's not just a product of the church I went to, but that I have read scripture. I understand uh, what it's saying, and I believe it myself. And once you come to that point in your life where you have that kind of faith, God will use you in tremendous ways. The scripture I want to uh, start with this morning is from, from James um, 2, verses 14 through 20. This is well known to, to a lot of you, uh, but it's one of my favorite things. First thing that comes to my mind when we think about faith, James says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? What good is that faith? Okay. Can such a faith save them? 
Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder, you foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Then he goes into a little diatribe about Abraham there. But James here is really, really saying, all right, apparently there's this conversation about what is faith? What is true faith in your life? Is it that I come to church and I say Jesus is Lord or is it more than that? What do you think James is going to say, Jared? It's more than that, right? And he gives you, I love this, he gives you this example. He says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. Uh, if one of you says to them, so this person comes to your house and they don't have the things that they need, and you say something very eloquent, go in peace, keep warm and well fed. You hear, hear how that sounds like I am telling you something religious. I am telling you something you know, from my heart because I'm such an upstanding believer. Keep warm and well fed. God bless you on your way. Right? But you do nothing. So what James is saying in this moment is people with a dead faith, that's what he calls it here, a dead faith are people who do nothing. They are only about talk. They are all talk, no action. But the people with a faith, he asked the question, can that faith save them? Anybody ever had the discussion about, does faith save you? Yeah. The answer to that is yes. True faith. Not a faith just saying, Jesus is Lord, and I'll go to church, or I'll read my Bible. Maybe I have memorized a lot of Scripture, but my faith has not come into me so that it goes out. Because once I believe this, this is not some kind of intelligence exercise where I, I've come to the conclusion, and that's it. You have to believe it such that it transforms your life. I want to uh, do a little bit of Greek. I don't, I don't do this a lot, so if, if you're thinking, oh, here we go. Uh, I'm not going to do this a lot, okay? This is the word for faith in Greek. And so you see, Greek is left to right, unlike Hebrew, which I'm taking right now, which is driving me nuts. Uh, but the, the first uh, word here is pistuo, okay? So uh, the same word, pistis, is faith. So you get to believe or faith. And so it would be really important to understand what that means, right? This is what it means in, uh, if you go to a Greek lexicon. So faith is to believe to the extent of complete trust and reliance. To believe with complete trust and reliance. To believe in, to have confidence in, to have faith in, to trust. And it says faith and trust. 
So faith is not just this outward saying. This is not some kind of, uh, again, some intellectual argument. Faith means, a true saving faith, is I put my full trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord, as my Savior, as who I want to follow. That's what we do in baptism. When we, when we say we put on the Lord in baptism, what we're meaning is we are pledging allegiance in that moment saying, nobody else rules my life, not even me. I am pledging my life to Jesus because I am putting my trust in him. So my question for you this morning as we think about our faith, we think about how we came to faith. Do you have faith? Have you fully put your trust in who Jesus is? If, if someone was to uh, view from the outside your life, would they look at it and say, that person is a true believer? Or are you all talk? Because I think, I think a lot of us in this, in this day and time, and I think it's been true for uh, most of our, our, you know, our past as well, we always think it's going downhill. And so our culture is going downhill, all of these things, and it produces a lot of anxiety, and we wonder what in the world is going to happen. Is the church going to hang out or whatever? Are we going to fold up the, are we going to close the doors? Are we going to fold up tents? Are we going to do all this? Anybody a little anxious about that? Like, what's going to happen? And so I ask you, do you have faith? Does your life show that you have full trust and reliance on Jesus Christ? Because I'll tell you today, that, that may be the most important question you can ask yourself. Because as I look at a group like this, these high school kids, what they need to see from mom and dad is not telling them what to do. It is watching mom and dad have a life that is based on Jesus Christ. That is not all talk. This is what we do in this family. This is how we present ourselves. No, you live it. Because too often, we want to kind of segment off our, uh, the parts of our life. And so I have church John on Sundays, and I have whatever else I am during the week. And then as I pull up into the parking lot, you know, we get done fighting because it was a rough ride over. And then we walk inside, and we go, hey. And listen, those days are going to happen. Just wait till you have kids. You think it's rough now. <laughs> My seven-year-old is very intuitive, but he, he already looks around and thinks, I don't want kids. This looks hard. <laughs> I want grandkids, so I'm not like playing into that. But, uh, but yeah, so this looks hard. But what our kids need, what our friends need, if we want to influence our community, what they need to see in us is a life built around Jesus Christ, that I live in such a way that you see that I'm not relying on self, I'm not relying on my bank account, on my retirement, on all the things that can save me financially or any other way, but my life revolves around Jesus Christ. If you want to influence the world, that's how. And let me tell some of you, you may need to hear it. I, I haven't seen these, but I'd imagine it's true for any church right now. But the angry rant on Facebook about somebody or something, that's not it. That is not the way to influence someone and make them feel like, hey, I want to be a part of that. 
the person who is not in your political party who you are griping about all week and then want to kind of put on the mask, hey, you want to come to church with me? Absolutely not. I have seen the way you acted, right? And so that's what we, that's what we see. I think it was Augustine that said, uh, you know, you preach a sermon every day, but, you know, if, if necessary, use words. If necessary, use words because your life is that example of your faith. So what is your faith in this morning? Is it in something else? Is it in your job to, to provide for you? Or what happens if you lose that job? I have been let go of, uh, from two different jobs uh, because of one was a buyout, one was a corporate restructure. And there is nothing like that to make you ask a bunch of questions. Was I relying on God? Was I relying on John in that job? Okay? So what is your faith in? Let's see if we can get there. 1 John 3, 17 and 18 says this. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Don't talk about it. We'll talk about it. But do it. Live it. Don't say I'm this kind of person and act like something else. Don't say I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and not act that way. If you're doing that, if you're, if you're out living in the world like that and you're not interested in changing that, you're only giving the church a black eye. You're only out here living, giving Christians a bad reputation. I don't want to go to church because it's a bunch of hypocrites. Absolutely. But are we hypocrites in the sense that we don't care to change? Or are we really people who admit, hey, I am hypocritical at times, but kind of like David, every time... It hits me what I have done every time someone tells me, did you know how you acted? I say, God, forgive me. Because God can do a lot with people like that. So I don't want you to think this morning that this is a sermon uh, about working hard. It's about trusting Jesus. I don't want you to think this morning that this is a sermon about how you have to be perfect out in the world else. Uh, you know, you're just going to give everybody a black eye. No. God calls someone like David, someone who had a man killed, someone who had an affair with a woman, had a child. He calls someone like that a man after his own heart. Because when he was confronted, when he knew he had sinned, he turned. Because his faith in God was not intellectual. It, it, it just transformed who he was. And so that changes who I am, that changes how I act, that changes what I do when I know I have gone against the will of God. 1 Timothy 6, 11 and 12 says, But you, man of God, flee from all this. Flee from all these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession 
in the presence of many witnesses. This goes right into the theme that I want for the summer. Again, this, is, this may sound to you like uh, I've got to work my way into heaven. That's not what this is. This is I am deciding to participate with what God already has going. That God has called me to a life of Christ, a life of faith that, that shows out in the community that, that I have been changed. And so when that is true, when I put my, uh, when I rely solely on Jesus Christ, I want to do these things. And Paul is talking to Timothy. We don't, we don't see in Scripture where Timothy was a bad guy. But Paul tells him, you pursue these things, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. In 1 Peter 8 and 9, kind of, I almost see this as a tail end to that very Scripture. He says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Talking about Jesus. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That our faith that transforms our life also saves our soul. If we would just say yes to Jesus. And so I ask you this morning, have you said yes to Jesus? I spoke last week, and one of the things that, that just baffles my mind, I, I get it, but it kind of baffles me, is the thought that I have to get everything kind of worked out in my life before I commit to Jesus. And I asked the question, I said, how many of you are still working that out? How many of you have been through it? Yeah, we all are, people who have been... Uh, Christians for a long time are still working these things out. Know this. God wants to save you. He desires that you come to Him. This is not one of those things where if I don't work hard enough, God is not going to save me. It is a posture toward God. God, I am yours. Because of that, God calls us His children. But you've got to participate. If we constantly sit on the sideline wondering, well, maybe the day will come when I feel more qualified or I'll learn enough or whatever, that day is never going to come. But this morning, if I will say, if you will say sitting in your chair, because some of you, the Holy Spirit's working on you right now. Because you hear it in your soul that this, this sermon's about to wrap up. You can offer the invitation. I know I'm going to think about it, but I, I really don't want to do it. You know, it's the wrong day. I, you know, let me think about it next week. I started a. <clears throat> Robert talked about gyms in the uh, uh, in the Bible class this morning. I uh, I started a gym. I don't know what happened to my voice just then. <clears throat> it's gone. But I started at a gym, and it had a. Uh, like a nutrition component to it. And the day I decided to kind of go in on that was a Thursday. And so what the nutritionist said is, hey, you need to go ahead and, and get your, your food and go ahead and get this started. What do you think my reply was? When do you think I wanted to start? That's right. You didn't think a thing about it. I mean, you didn't think, think for a second. You knew what day I wanted to start. And she said, you've got to start now. 
You have got to start now. You have got to, for us as Christians, we have to listen to the Holy Spirit who is trying to change our mind and our heart towards Jesus. And we keep saying no. We keep giving him the stiff arm. No, wait, maybe, maybe later. It'll be a better time. Listen to what God is trying to tell you this morning. Because he wants to save you. He wants you to be called his child. And he's ready to do that right now. Are you ready to say yes? Are you ready to say, I will call on the Lord? Let us all see that that moment of faith in your life this morning. I do want to offer that invitation. We would love to baptize you into Jesus. If there are needs that you have, don't throw those away. Don't wait for another time. Let's pray about it right now. One of the things I want us, and and you guys have been so good at, when people have prayer requests, you're all there with them. I'm talking about a stronger summer, and one of our our lessons is going to be about prayer, and I want to see that even multiply. I want this church, whatever our name may be, to be known as a place of prayer. And it doesn't take some big event. It doesn't take some uh, whatever out here that well, I'm, I'm only going to ask for prayer if it's, you know, over a certain seriousness level. But that we come together and pray. Our faith says, I'm not going to put, I'm not going to rely on myself to work this out. I want my brothers and sisters knowing about it. I want to pray. I want to pray with them. I want Jesus Christ to hear. He already knows. I want, God already knows what I need. But I want to show my faith with my brothers and sisters as we come together, as we love each other. So this morning, will you call upon the Lord? We want to be a part of that. But this morning, at this point, you say yes to Jesus Christ in your walk of faith with Him. Would you come as we stand and sing?